Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now, there's quite a lot in these chapters, and so what we're going to do today is I'm actually going to read snippets at a time, and then I'll preach into that, and then we'll come on to the next bit. So I'm not going to spend 10 minutes reading the whole of uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14, and then going back to the start. So keep your fingers in those pages. We will be going to other parts of the Bible as well. We're going to work the guys on AV a little hard, jumping backwards and forwards. So uh, the context of this is God's been doing a work among his people uh, in the Old Testament. He delivered them from Egypt. He'd given them the Ten Commandments. Uh, we, uh, we saw last week that Moses went up the mountain, uh, he received the Ten Commandments, came down. The people were you know, immediately sinning, they were building a golden calf, they were worshipping idols um, in the desert. And God threatened not to go with them into the promised land. I remember Moses cried out on, to God on behalf of the people saying, look God, if you don't go with us, well what's the point? Don't even send us up from here. There's no point, we'll, we're no different from anyone else on the face of the earth. If you don't go with us. But now it was finally time to move into the promised land. This was it. This was it. Time for the fulfillment uh, of the promises that the Israelites had got. Time for the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham all those years before. And then to Isaac and to Jacob. What excitement there must have been in the camp at at this time. What glory was ahead of them. Well, that should have been the case. That should have been the case. But these two chapters do not tell us of a great victory. These two chapters actually bring us a sober warning about the importance of continuing to walk in the presence of God and continuing to trust in him and have faith in him. But right in the midst of these terrible events, really, we also see Men of faith, and we will see that, pressing on in their relationship with God, trusting in him. We're going to see warnings, and we're going to see encouragements. And I believe, as a church, in some way, City Church stands in a similar place to the Israelites were here. God has been with us powerfully. He's brought us out from where we've been, church in spiritual bondage sometimes, in slavery, certainly the former church, into a place where we've been strengthened, And we've seen God acting in miraculous ways. And our story is an exciting one of God leading us, acting on behalf, our behalf. We've received direction from God. We've received encouragement through prophecy. Much of that encouragement is encouragement about ourselves and our character and saying, you know, we need to find a new maturity as God leads us on into things which might seem difficult at the time. We've had many prophetic words like that. Now is the time to advance, I believe, City Church. Now is the time that that maturity needs to come to the fore. And as the church moves forward, bold steps of faith are going to need to be taken. So I believe you've got much to learn in these chapters. Let's have a look and, uh, and start to look in at chapter 13 of Numbers The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So Moses is sending one of each of the tribes, a representative, a leader from each of the tribes, out to spy out the land, to find out what's going to happen. So, okay, we're going to go into the land, but let's go out, let's have a look, let's see uh, what's going on, Uh, let's check out 
the route. Let's check out what opposition there's going to be. That's, a, that's actually a good idea. In fact, it's an idea that is given through the people. It says here that God says it to, to Moses. Well, how did God say it? Well, God said it through some of the people. We find a, a similar uh, description of the same story in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is recounting the story. And he says in verse 22 to the people, Then all of you came to me and said, Let's send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we're to take and the towns we will come to. And he says, The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. So we see, you know, Numbers says, God said to the people, God said to Moses, Do this. How did he do it? He did it through the people coming to him and saying, Hey, Moses, do you think this is a good idea? And Moses kind of thought, actually, I think that is a good idea. I think that's God saying that. And so he did it. God does speak uh, to leadership through people. We've seen that many times over the years in the church, haven't we? we? We haven't been a church where, as a leadership team, as an eldership, we haven't just come up with a lot of ideas and then said, right, who's going to do this? Actually, a lot of the time, things have come up, faith has stirred among people, hey, I feel God's saying this, and we've prayed about it, and we've got hold of something, and we've gone for it united as one church. It's kind of what Moses was doing here. So let's read on. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. He's also uh, going to explain later on he's Joshua. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Zodi. Zodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph. Gadi, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, um, Nab. Nabi, son of Vopshi, Vopsi, and from the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? How are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Okay, so Moses chooses these 12 guys, these 12 young men from each tribe. I bet you couldn't have named 10 of them beforehand. If I'd have said, who were the 12? What were the names of the 12? Shut your Bibles. What are the names of them? People would have gone, I have no idea. I would imagine you probably don't even know anyone called any of those 10. Apart from Joshua and Caleb. All the others, you'd think, well, who are they? But at the time, at the time, they were the key leaders. At the time, they were the guys who stood out among the tribes of thousands. And Moses is saying, who am I going to send out? I'm going to send out my best guys. He's the one I'm going to send out from that tribe. He's the one I'm going to send out from that tribe. They were the main leaders at the time. But we've never heard of them. And there's a reason for that. 
which we'll see later on, obviously. And the text describes that they're going up and they're going to check out the land. They're going to spy it out. And these are all sensible things to be going to look for. If you're going into a land, you want to find out what it's going to be like beforehand. You want to do your research because this is where you're going to go. There's going to be people there and we need to find out what the opposition is going to be like. We need to find out what the country is going to be like. This is what we're going to do. So off they went. So the text describes their journey from verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Seshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. This is where we first of all get a little worrying sign of things to come. They get to Hebron. Hebron... Now, what happened in Hebron? Who can remember what happened in Hebron? Remember back. So when I was preaching a year or so back on Abraham, anyone can tell me. It's open for a quiz. Anyone can tell me what happened in Hebron? Well, that was worth turning up that day, wasn't it? I don't blame you. Hebron was the place where uh, Abraham bought some land. He bought some land to bury his wife, Sarah. And Sarah was buried in Hebron. And then, so it was kind of the first sign. This is the first part of the promised land that Abraham and therefore the people of uh, Israel actually own. They own this land. They built, a, they bought a field. And at the bottom of the field was a cave. And at the cave, they buried Sarah. And then Abraham was later buried there. And then so was Isaac. And his wife, Rebecca, and so was Jacob and Leah. They were all buried in Hebron. This is the place. This is the place where we've actually owned some of this land. This is ours, guys. That's what they could, maybe should, have been thinking. An inspirational place to remind them of the promises of God. But no. What is this place described as now? It's the place where Ahiman, Seshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Three big guys. There's three big men live there now. Never mind Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's three guys. They've got huge feet. They've got big muscles. They've got big shoulders. That's what it's about. Mm. Little concerning as we read the passage. The focus has been taken off God's promise, off what God's done, and now... It's three big guys. And it's easy for the focus, it's easy for our focus to be taken off God and onto other things that can look big. And as we will see, these three men take on even bigger proportions in the mind of these leaders later on. But anyway, off they carry on. So they went up, verse 21, and expl- uh, sorry, we've read that. Uh, when the, verse 23, when they came reached the valley of Eschol, Eschol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of the uh, 40 days, they returned from visiting and exploring the land. So they return, they move on from this place where these three big guys live, and they find uh, in the Valley of Eshkol this, this amazing fruit, like a bunch of grapes, just one bunch of grapes, and they have to put it on a pole and carry it between two of them. I mean, that's amazing for a bunch of grapes. 
isn't it? It's not like the biggest fruit ever. But it, it's like, wow, what does this land have in it? There's some real encouragement there, isn't there? God said this is a good land. God said this is a land flowing with milk and honey. And now they've seen the proof of it for themselves. They've seen the biggest fruit they have ever seen in their lives before. And they said, let's take this one back. They're carrying it back. As Moses has said, take some back. So back they come. And they give their report. Verse 26. They come. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Here's the fruit. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Good stuff. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they're giving their report, but they're kind of putting a bit of an edge to it. They're not just giving it a straight report. Oh, this is where the people are. They're like, it's good, but, but, people are powerful. And this is where they all live. They're all, but there's not even a clear way through. We can't go up the mountains because there's people there. We can't go by the sea. There's people there. You know, and the Jordan. No, there's people everywhere. I don't know how we're going to do it. They come back and they doubt that they can take it. Even though it's a good land. Over 40 days, they've been exploring the land for 40 days. They've drifted in their walk with God. They've forgotten what he's done for them. They've forgotten that God will be faithful to do what he has promised. I mean, they could be focusing on this amazing fruit. Because of course there's people in the land. They, they were going to know that beforehand. They weren't going to know there was going to be this bunch of amazing grapes. They could have been focusing on that. But instead, they're focusing on the giants. They could be focusing and holding on to the vision of what God has called them to. Holding on to the promises. Holding on to the big picture. God is leading us into this land. But instead, they've started to focus in on the detail. Because to take the land, they'll have to face this problem and that problem. This city and the walls and the fortifications. This group of people who are there, we're going to have to defeat them. All of the details of how it's going to come about. And any excitement that they had and any faith that they had have now been replaced by fear. The people are too powerful. The cities are large and fortified. There's people all over the land. Last week, just over a week ago, Dan, at the family night, began to outline in some more detail how City Church, how him and the leaders of the leadership group believe that, that God is taking City Church into his promises. And as Dan outlined the way forward. So far, he's focused in on the big picture. He's not, he's not given a lot of details. Now, there are details to be had. But so far, it's the big picture. This is where we're going. This is the broad brushstrokes. These are the reasons why. This is why we're going there. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And it's key for all of us to get hold of the big picture. But there will come a time 
when you need to work out the details. Maybe some leaders will need to work out some of the details. That is a time when it's so important to stay hold of the big picture, to stay hold of the vision, to stay hold, keep hold of the promises of God. Otherwise, those little details can end up becoming big giants. The details can become the giants. And that is what, in this report, Caleb sees is beginning to happen here. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. You could imagine people starting to go, really? Really? There's big, there's people there and there, the, the cities are fortified. I thought it's going to be an easy way in. And, oh, I don't know. And the people are starting to, to mutter and grumble. And Caleb says, no, 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 no. Quiet. He silences them before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He's trying to bring people back to faith in God. He's trying to remind them of God's promises. He knows the truth that we see in the New Testament and in other parts of the Bible. That actually, if God is for us, who can be against us? We, we see it in Philippians chapter 4 and, uh, and verse 13, where Paul says, I can do any, everything through him who gives me strength. If God's giving me strength to do it, I can do anything. Caleb knows that. He knows that. So does Joshua. He's trying to bring the people back. But then the other leaders, the other ten, the ten we've never heard of now. Verse 31, the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread a bad report among the Israelites about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Those are the giants that you read about in Genesis 6. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That's what... The other leaders, leaders, so-called leaders, were doing. They begin to exaggerate the situation. So they've given a report back so far. And it's like, well, these people are here. These people are here. The walls get, they are fortified. But now, Caleb's going, come on, we can go in. God's leading us in. And they're scared. And they're saying, I don't want to go in. Well, how are they going to deal with that? How are they going to persuade them otherwise? They start to exaggerate. So now it's, um, the land is devouring people who live there. What's going on? This is, a, this is a land flowing with milk and honey, full of amazing fruit. No, it's devouring. It's eating people up. The land will eat us up. That's the land will eat people up. All the people who live there are of great size. No, there's three guys. There's three big guys there. No, it's everyone. Everyone's living there is of great size. The Nephilim, these mythical giants, they're living in the land. Everyone wondered where they were. We saw them. They're there. Everyone's got no, the Nephilim, no. You know, and, and it's like, we were standing there. We seemed like we were just grasshoppers in our own eyes. And, and, and he says, and we looked the same to them. We looked the same to them. How do they know? How do they know how they looked to the other people? Actually, we, we see later on 
what the Canaanites actually thought. Because they're, they're projecting onto them, oh, you know, they're, they're looking, down, oh, look at these little grasshoppers here. No, we see in Joshua chapter 2 what the people actually thought. In Joshua chapter 2, later on, some more spies go out into the land. And uh, this was years, years later, years later, 40 years later. And uh, they come to a woman called um, Rahab. And in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8, these spies, it says, Before the spies lay down on the, uh, for the night, Rahab went up onto the roof and she said to them, she says, I know the Lord's given this land to you. And, and the great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites complete east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God in, is, is God in heaven and on the earth below. <laughs> for 40 years... The people who've lived in this land have heard about God, heard about the Israelites, what God has done. And they're thinking, they're going to be here any minute. And we're petrified because God's with them. And it's not just any God, it's the God who created the heaven and earth. And they've waited for 40 years for the time when they're coming in. But they never did come in at this point. Because these 10 guys were saying, everyone's like giants. And they think we're like piddly little grasshoppers. And they didn't know. They didn't know the truth. God had already won the victory. God's already won the victory. He's already put fear in their hearts. Fear can do such destructive things to us. We we shouldn't be the people who fear. Because God's with us. Everyone else, the enemy should be the one who fears But fear can do such destructive things when it gets hold of our hearts. Everything just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and out of proportion. You know what that's like, don't you? You'll have experienced that sometimes in your life. Something starts off quite small and it builds up and it builds up until it's huge. Until it's a giant. A giant in our land. A giant in our hearts. And it paralyzes. It kills faith. Fear kills faith. It means we can't move. I don't know if you've ever done a bungee jump. A few years ago, uh, some of us from the church, we, we had some vouchers. We went to Magna. We did a bungee jump. And, uh, and, and it's the first time I'd ever done it. It was, it was a, a great experience. But they, they put this bungee cord on you. You climb up to the top of the, uh, of the tower where you're going to be. And uh, you're standing there at the edge. And it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is quite nerve-wracking. And they give you some advice. They say to you, okay, don't look down. Don't look down. If you start looking down, you'll start to think how far it is. Detail. (laughs) Quite a big detail, but don't look down. (laughs) Don't look down. He said, and then, and then when I say, he said, I'm going to count one, two, three, and I'm going to say bungee. And at that point, you throw yourself forwards. He said, if you wait, if you wait, if you hesitate, you will start to think about all the reasons you shouldn't be jumping. He said, but you're perfectly safe. You've got this bungee cord on you. It's all going to be fine. So you, you go, and, and it says one, two, three, bungee, and you throw yourself off, and, uh, and off you go. And it was great fun. But there was one guy, or, or woman, I can't remember which, you know, and I watched her, him or her afterwards, and she climbs up, and she was standing there, and you could tell he'd said one, two, three, bungee, and she was like, 
no, not just yet. And you just thought, she's not going. She, or he's not going, I can't remember. I think it was a woman. She's not going. She's not going to go. And, uh, and then you see, after a while, you know, oh, chatting going on, and then uh, step back, take the bungee cord off, and she's got to do the long walk down the stairs past everyone else who's coming up, the kind of climb of shame. Fear's um, got in. It's a big thing, bungee jumping. But fear gets in. Don't think about the detail. Clear your mind. Don't think about it. Well, we've got to think about the detail sometimes, but don't let it get consuming. We see here what effect this fear has on people. They've spread this bad report. Moses had said, don't be afraid. In Deuteronomy 121, says, Moses says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But the 10 leaders have spread this bad report. So when we get to Numbers 14, what do we see? That, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back into Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back into Egypt. There's rebellion going on now. There's rebellion in the camp. They are wishing they had died. They're saying, better to have died in Egypt. Back where we were was better than where God's taking us. We'd have been better staying there. It wasn't that bad. We kind of knew where we were. At least there was kind of nice food there. There's some cucumber sandwiches. I know it was hard, but, but, but you know, we, we'd have been better off there. Actually, we'd have even been better off staying in the desert. Because now you're going to take us into this land, Moses, and we're just going to get destroyed. And our wives and our kids, they're going to be captured. It's a disaster. And they don't want to go. And they're saying, let's find another way. How else can we do it? Moses is the leader. Okay, let's get rid of Moses. Let's get rid of Moses. Let's get rid of Aaron. Let's find someone else. Let's find someone else who's going to play safe. Let's find someone else who's not going to take us into this difficult situation. Let's find someone else who's going to take us back into the slavery that we came from. There's choices. They've got a choice. They can go forward. They can go back. They can go with Moses, follow God, or choose someone else who's going to take them back into slavery. Faith is dead. No one's worshipping God. No one's speaking about what God's done. And there's a leadership rebellion. You know, fear and negativity, they don't need fueling. They provide their own fuel. It just happens. You know, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. No one needs to fuel that. And it becomes a stronghold. We can easily become consumed by fear of all kinds of things in our lives. We can fear. We've talked about the church. We we can fear that. We can fear where we're going in the future. But we can fear other things as well. We can be fearful for our own family. We can be fearful for our health. We can have fear of death. There can be fear about our finances. There can be fear of what the future will bring. All of these things can become all-consuming. And do you know what they will do? They'll kill our relationship with God. They'll kill any sense of faith that we have. And we can easily move from faith to fear once we remove ourselves from the manifest presence of God. It can be so easy to be enthusiastic about the big picture. But when you get down to the details that you have to overcome... 
that can seem overwhelming without God. I mean, for us, for us, for my family, for our family in our life, our big picture, what is God calling us to do? God's calling us to move to Canada. God's calling us to move to a town called Milton in order to help strengthen the church there, in order to help bring that church into a place uh, alongside Jim, their leader, where they're a strong church, where they're living lives built on the word of God, moving in the power of the spirit. We've got the big picture. We can be excited about it. Okay, how are we going to do it? What are the details? Okay, well, we need to sell our house. And actually, we need to find somewhere to live out there as well. And, uh, and we need to become, accept- we need to actually get through immigration. And because that's actually a point of entry. We don't even get a visa before. And so we've got to get through that. And, uh, we've got to get rid of all of our, uh, possessions and everything here. So that means we've got nothing when we go there. So we've got to start buying property as well. And we're leaving all our friends behind. All these friends we've known for years uh, in Sheffield and, and, and even in Fredericton. We've got to leave all them behind. And are we going to start making friends there? And how are the kids going to cope? And what about health issues? I mean, what, we have a doctor and, and actually we've got a few health issues. So how's that going to work? And will we have enough finance? How much are, are we going to get paid? Are we going to get... All of these things can become... The details, they're all things we've got to work out. But it can become overwhelming. And we, and we can just start to think, it's better to stay. It's better to stay. Oh, but now we can't stay because, because we, we, we have got rid of all of our stuff. And, uh, oh no, my job's gone now. And uh, they prayed on Friday and I'm not even an elder anymore. And, oh, there's no way to go back. But there's all this ahead. Well... I burnt my boats. That's, oh no. You can start to start to panic. Well, maybe we should stay here after all. It's just safer. It's just safer. Let's just stay where it's safe. We know what it's like here. You can see how fear can get in. That's just in our situation. But each of you will have your own situations. Each of you will have your own areas of life where you've got to make a choice. You've got to make choices between faith in what God has said or fear. Where God has said, this is what I'm doing. This is where I want you to go. I am with you. But circumstances seem to say otherwise. You could have fear about all sorts of things. Can we actually afford to have more kids? Can we afford to maybe, I don't know, we might have to give up my, my work, give, lose a wage? Can we really afford to give money to the church? I don't know. I, I've heard things about giving, but I don't know if we can afford that. Can I really believe God for taking a day off each week? I've got my own business. There's so much work to do and we need the money as well. And can I really serve the church fully? I've got these health issues and I know God's saying this, but I don't think my health's going to cope with that. How are we going to talk to people about Jesus? How are we going to talk to our friends? If I talk to my friends about Jesus, they might just not want to know me anymore. I don't want to lose those friends. So I don't know if I can do that. What about our kids? What about our kids? There's no kids working City Church. How are we going to do that? What are our kids going to be like? How will they cope? These are all big things. The kids thing can be a huge thing. Not not just about kids work, but just about about our kids, about our families. And we need to be leading our families in faith rather than shrinking back through fear and letting those decisions uh, affect, those things affect our decisions. Only Joshua and Caleb stand with Moses 
and Aaron in encouraging the people to go into the land. Verse 5, chapter 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japuna, who were with those who'd explored, among those who'd explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israel assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They are reminding the Israelites of God's promises of God's presence with them, of God's ability to deliver into what he's promised. The people in the land don't have God on their side, so they're the ones who are going to be devoured. The Israelites do. And so do we. We have God on our side. So if God is saying to do something, we can be certain. We can't be certain of exactly the detail. We can't be certain of everything that is going to happen. But we can be certain of God. And we can be certain he'll be with us. And we can be certain he will keep his promises. Joshua and Caleb are speaking truth to the people. And we can so easily believe the lies of the enemy. And it's so important to keep having the truth spoken to us. Either through preaching or through encouragement at core groups. Or through our friends who are just encouraging us and reminding us of the truth of God's word or from reading God's word ourselves. It's so important to know that encouragement. Know the truth, says Romans 12, verse 2, and the truth will set you free. But the key thing here, the key thing in what Joshua and Caleb are reminding them is what I said last week. It's the presence of God. We can't do anything without the presence of God. But Joshua and Caleb are saying, if God's presence is with us, we can, we can do it. We can go there. Remember last week, Exodus 33 and verse 7, Moses at the tent of meeting where the presence of God comes down and Joshua is there. Joshua knows what it's like to be in God's presence. He knows God. He knows God. And so because he knows God and he knows God's with him, he says, we can do this. I know God's with us. I know God's called us. That's all we need to know. We can do it. We can do it. God will lead us into the land. We need God's presence with us. That's the main thing. We can do nothing without it. We must be in a living relationship with God. And even then, we we can't do things on our own. We need Jesus with us. But it it wasn't good enough. It didn't persuade the people. It didn't overcome the fear. It says the whole, verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Stoning them. Ten leaders against two. And the fear had begun to spread, even though the two were speaking out in faith. Are we going to make decisions based on fear or on faith in what God says and in his word? City Church, are, we gonna, are you going to make decisions based on faith or fear? Do you remind yourself of verses and encourage yourself when you're worrying about all these things? And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be given to you. God is with you, church. He's called you. Yes, there are going to be challenges. Yes, there are going to be giants to overcome. But the most important thing is to stay in his presence and be filled with his spirit. 
As God leads you forward as a church in all that Dan's begun to outline, there are obstacles that you need to overcome. What Things that could become your giants. You could have giants. You could have questions. And these are questions that you may well have. Who's going to lead? We've lost, we've lost Arnold as a leader. And now we're losing Mark. How's that going to work? Now's not a time to move forward, surely. Uh, things are changing. It's not, things aren't going to be the way they used to be. I'm feeling uncomfortable about that. New, small congregations? New congregations meeting downstairs? I don't get it. We might not see our friends. All, all these little things, which could become big giants. Could become big giants. And our own personal issues could seem like giants in the land. How can I take on more responsibility? Dan's talking about people taking on more responsibility, but I can't because I've got all this stuff going on. They're real issues. Those big guys did live in the land. They were there. They weren't made up. They were there. But don't make them bigger than they are. These are issues that God can easily overcome as you walk forward in faith. Don't let them become giants in the land. Or they'll paralyze you. And so God comes in judgment. We, 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 we'll not read this little bit, but if you read it yourself, God comes in judgment and he says, he says, I, I, I've had enough with these people. I'm going to judge them. And again, Moses cries out to God like he did last week. Moses calls out in front of God for the people. He calls out for them. And yet again, God says, I will forgive them. But in verse 20 of chapter 14, we see there are consequences. These are the consequences. This is the warning to us. These are the consequences of giving in to fear. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will see the land I promised on earth to their forefathers. No one who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of them, you 20 years or more older, who was counted in the census and who's grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Joshua, except Caleb, son of Jepuna, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them in to enjoy the land you've rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert, and they will die. And it says, and so the men Moses had sent to explore the land, these ten, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men, responsible for spreading the bad report about the land, were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. 
of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japuna, survived. Wow. I mean, that is devastating. I mean, God says he's forgiven them, but that's it. They've missed out. They've missed out. They're never, those people are never going to enter the land. They had that opportunity. They'd come to the time that God was saying, I'm going to bring you into the land. I'm going to bring you into the promises. For years, people have been waiting. They had the chance. And they backed away from it. And God says, I'm keeping my promise. I'm keeping my promise. Your children will get it. But for you, you're going to die. You're going to die in the desert. You're going to die not knowing my presence among you anymore here. That's it. You've known miracles. You've known these things happen. You've known my presence. You've known my leading. You're not going to know that anymore. You're not going to know that anymore. Devastating. And then he strikes down dead the men who had lacked faith and caused the grumbling, the leaders. Wow. I mean, that. if you're a leader... If you're a leader, there's such a responsibility. If you're a leader here, make sure you are behind the leader, Dan, who God has anointed over you as a church. Don't be one who causes division and grumbling. You can be. You have that choice. But God will judge you for it. There's a different way to go. We don't need to fear. Matthew 28, 10 verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. God doesn't promise us that we'll have no troubles. He doesn't promise us no suffering, no hardship. He doesn't say, we, you know, we're not going to die, we will. But we do have an eternal promise ahead of us. That even if our earthly bodies die, our soul will continue into eternity and be with God. Why spend our lives playing it safe? It's not even safe. It's not safe to stay where it looks safe. That's where you're going to get judged. Why try and protect our earthly lives? Why try and protect our bodies? When it will profit us nothing, Jim Wallace said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, what he cannot gain. Sorry. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Why do it? We've got a real warning about lacking faith in God and being paralyzed by fear. Very quickly, very quickly, there's also another warning. There's a flip side of it. And this is in verse 39, chapter 14, verse 39. It says... When Moses reported all of this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. They regretted it. Early the next morning, they went up to the high hill country and said, we've sinned. They're right. They have. And then they said, we will go to the place the Lord has promised. But Moses said, no, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up now because the Lord is not with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and Canaanites will face you there. Because you've turned away from the Lord, he won't be with you. And you'll fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, the presence of God, moved from the camp. 
And then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. The people realize they've sinned and they say, oh, we've been wrong. Okay, we'll go. And Moses is saying, no, don't go now because you can only go when God is with you. No, no, we'll go. We'll do it. We can do it. We can do it. No, you can't. We can only do it with God. God hasn't led them to do that now. And Moses warns them, but again they ignore him and they're defeated. And I can remember two major occasions with individuals in Sheffield in my time here. When people have come to me and said, I really think we should go into this ministry area. I really think we should do this. I really think God's on it. And both times I've thought, actually, I think God is. I think God is. I think God is leading us as a church into these things. But I don't think now's the time. And we talked about it as leaders. No, now's not the time. And I said to them, and they said, no, 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 we want to do it now. Now's the time. Now's not the time. God's not with you. And both times the individual said, okay, I'm going to go and do it anyway. I'll go and, do in, I'll go and join another church and we'll run that ministry. Both times, their marriages failed. I mean, I don't know a lot of other details apart from that, but both of those people, within a year or two of them making that decision, their marriages fell apart. And neither of them are involved in those things anymore. And we, and we did go into those areas of ministry as city church later on. If only they'd stayed. They could have been part of it. But they went on ahead. And there's defeat. If we didn't believe that God had called us to move to Canada right now, and that wasn't confirmed by others, it wasn't just a feeling that we've got or a desire. If, if it wasn't God, we'd be fools. We'd be absolute fools to go. Faith is based on what God says, not on reckless optimism or just presuming that things are going to work out okay. It's about our walk with God. He'll lead us by his Holy Spirit. So some of you as a church might be really fearful about things and some of you might be really excited because that's just who, the kind of person you are. But, but make sure you're not going out ahead. Don't go out ahead of God. If God's presence doesn't go up from the camp and neither is the leader, don't go. Because there's a quick defeat and a quick retreat. God's promised City Church much, but if the leaders aren't going ahead of you and if God's not clearly said now's the time, then wait for God. Leaders lead the way. That's why they're called leaders. They're the ones to go out first. So this could all seem a little discouraging. But it's encouraging because God's with us. This is a, this is a warning of, of what can happen. We need to take heed of some of the warnings in scripture. But God is faithful. Joshua and Caleb do come into the land, albeit 40 years later. And, and just look at Joshua's faith. 40 years, you, you'd think Joshua could have got a bit fed up about this. You'd think he could have got despondent. He's, he's got to wait in the desert for 40 years with everyone else, watching everyone else die. And think, well, when they've died, then we'll finally come into it. He could have just got really, really despondent. 40 years, 45 years or so. But, but let's look what he says in Joshua 14 and verse 6. Joshua, verse 7. Joshua says to these men, I was 40 years old 
when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh and Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous now to go out into battle as I was then. So now, give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. Give me this hill country. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He's 85 years old. These guys, they're still there. Those cities are still there. And he's saying, I've waited for this day because God's with me. And we're going in, guys. We're going in. And we're going to take this land. And we're going to see success. And he did. And he did. You just read on in Joshua. You see the miracles that God brought about. He held on to God. God has given City Church many promises. He's given you godly leaders. If you are a leader here, make it your desire, your heart's desire, your conviction to be like Caleb and Joshua, strong, courageous, trusting in what God said, even if others around are lacking in faith, walking in relationship with God. Church, keep walking with God where and go where he leads you, even if it seems like it's going to be dangerous, even if it seems like there's going to be risks ahead, even if it's not what you personally would choose. Resist the temptations to give in to fear, to give in to grumbling. Keep your relationship with God vibrant. Leaders lead others in faith. And God will lead you into all that he's promised you. You will see amazing miracles as you advance into all that God's given you. I'm thrilled that I have been a part of City Church here for 17 years. For the first half. But now others are going on and taking the battle into the second half. I'm also excited about us going to Canada and seeing what God's going to do there, building on those relationships as well across the Atlantic between here and there. God's about a great work. He's about great things. Let's keep our focus on him. Let him slay the giants of fear in the land. The Lord is with us. He is faithful. So let's enter into all that he's promised. Amen. Let's pray.